passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. And so we recorded a nice episode with three main topics, uh, one of which was the uh, the state reallowing full capacity beginning June first for outdoor events we discussed well now it sounds a little silly we discussed the potential of Michigan eventually announcing that it would allow capacity or full capacity for the fall or 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 at least trend toward that obviously uh, you know nothing's there's nothing's official but about five minutes after we stopped recording and hung up and moved on with our lives uh, Michigan did announce that it intends to have full capacity for the fall. So uh, might be a little bit, a couple choppy points during the episode where, uh, you know, we might we might mention it. Just let that part go. We actually cut the conversation out because a lot of it was kind of discussing the decision or, 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 or what was what we thought would happen. And, and we both agreed that it would be uh, it was more of a when, not an if we hypothesized uh, unfortunately didn't age well that that they might take some time see how it goes with the Tigers Uh, but obviously with Michigan State announcing earlier today a lot of teams in the state of Michigan were taking today as kind of the opportunity to say yep we'll we'll be a part of the full capacity Uh, so so anyway a lot of the conversation doesn't actually hold up there there is a couple components uh, to keep an eye on just you know the demographics of Michigan fans they travel from further away they um, they often, a lot of them aren't from Ann Arbor, and then there's a big, a bigger crowd than say a Tigers game or or even a Michigan State game. Just the tailgating atmosphere mixed with the larger capacity at the stadium. So there's there's there was a couple points, but honestly, we just cut it out. Uh, it's it 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 didn't really fit once the announcement that we discussed possibly happening indeed happened, and 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 that's great news. Um. You know, there's certainly everyone has different opinions about, uh, you know, these COVID restrictions being lifted. But in the end, things are trending in the right direction. I think it's very hard to argue that. And then also, Michigan football is more fun. You know, as a reporter like myself or as a fan, uh, with with fans in the stands. So so to kind of get that stroke of good news on a on a Thursday evening, um, I got to think most fans were fired up about that. And and the ones who aren't. Uh, don't have to go. So I think this was something that it seemed to be heading in this direction even before today's announcement from Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, but but obviously now it is open. So anyway, that was kind of the the genesis of our conversation. Uh, we expect pretty much every. I mean, unless there's a change in in cases, uh, you know, unless there's another outbreak, I suppose, or another spike. Uh, expects pretty much all the outdoor events for sure to be full capacity this fall indoor um i guess it, it i would expect it to eventually be full i just don't know uh when it officially will michigan's order that goes into effect june 1st is only 50 percent for indoor but anyway um you can read all of that over at the michiganinsider.com and and elsewhere too but the rest of our podcast does hold up some of it will age relatively quickly so definitely uh you know kind of a time sensitive episode not one to shell for two or three days we talk about grad transfers uh with the potential commitment of oregon state defensive tackle jordan whitley so we discuss a little bit of his impact the questions that come with him but also moving forward how big of a deal is it for michigan to get uh, what we expect to be a a backup defensive tackle transfer 
Um, and then does Michigan keep looking for defensive tackles? And then also at other positions, do they look at linebackers, cornerbacks? Uh, there's actually a couple positions I throw in there as, as maybe wild card spots to get a transfer to. So we have that. And then we close with a softball discussion, taking a look at Michigan's season so far, what, what, what has impressed us, um, what's, what are the keys are going to be heading into the NCAA tournament. And then we also actually talk about the NCAA tournament draw itself because that's ruffled some feathers uh, both in the Big Ten and the Pac-12. So a uh, lot to get to. Uh, hopefully it's not too choppy. If there is something that we mentioned that, that sounds outdated, uh, you're going to have to forgive us. We just had to had to take uh, about a third of the, of the episode out. Anyway, we will skip the discussion about the capacity and jump right into this graduate transfer discussion. Anyways, back to the team. Uh, they seem to be trending toward landing uh, Mr. Jordan Whitley out of Oregon State, a defensive tackle grad transfer listed at 350 pounds. So he's a big dude. I mean, he'd be 30 pounds heavier at least than any other defensive lineman on Michigan's roster. Uh, you know, he was he's he's been he's had a very uh, long journey as a as a football player. I mean, this would be his seventh year, and I think he technically is a year older than that too. So I think he's 25. Um, but he, he was originally signed to be a running back at San Jose state. Uh, I think, I believe those grades prevented him from ever making it to campus, played a few years at Laney college, which is a, a junior college in California. And then, uh, has spent three seasons at Oregon state. I believe it might be two, uh, but he did not play last season. Put up some some solid numbers in in 2019. Uh, you know, obviously a nose tackle, big defensive tackle. They're not going to put up you know the crazy sack numbers. Their thing is more just just being there and helping the rest of the defense operate. But they seem to be trending up toward him. Steve, we've talked about it in, in bits and pieces before, but looking at Michigan's defensive line, knowing. Now, what we know now that, that they're going to basically, it's going to be a defensive tackle line. I mean, they're not going to have anyone under 280 pounds putting their hand in the ground consistently. Anyone, anyone lighter, any of those traditional defensive ends, they're going to play stand up outside linebacker, play a little bit of an edge position. So they have Hinton, they have Chris Hinton, they have Don Majeter in terms of returning starters. Julius Welshoff, Mozzie Smith are the well liked, but still kind of inexperienced backups. And then from there, it's, it's a little bit more of a mystery. So knowing, knowing what we know one to 10, how important is it for Michigan to land a grad transfer, even if it's not a starter, but just kind of another rotation defensive tackle, defensive lineman uh, who can add some size to that front seven. I mean, I think it was imperative just about right. I mean, I don't, even if, and that's the thing, even if Smith, who I think is the one player I think most people are kind of saying, okay, like, you know, what do we got? You know, he was a highly recruited top 150 kid, mm -hmm. the guy that Michigan fans have been waiting on now. This will be his third season on campus. You know, I think that people are like, hey, what, you know, even if he does take that step forward, <clears throat> this is really more about depth and keeping those other guys fresh keeping a Jeter or a Hinton or a Smith fresh, right? Not somebody you're, I think you're going to be bringing in, looking to play like at an all American type level. I think he's going to have a, I think Whitley, if he commits, would have a niche, a pretty niche role for Michigan as a plug, you know, in the run game, a guy that I think, you know, the goal would be to try to attract attention to give linebackers or the defensive, you know, your bigger defensive ends, some favorable one-on-one -on -one matchups or for linebackers either, you know, easier to get through on the blitz or, or to create space to create, uh, to make easy tackles in the run game. So, you know, I think from, from Michigan standpoint, yeah, I mean, it's, it's clear that this is something that they've coveted. You look at the way they're even recruiting. They're recruiting a lot of 300 plus kids in this 22 class. I mean, it's clear they're going to try to get a lot bigger up front. 
So I think it was a situation where I, I feel like they almost viewed this as a must, you know, to bring in somebody like this, you know, and, and see what they can do. And, and as just as an important piece for what McDonald and, and company want to do up front. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. You know, we, I think we talked a little bit before the show. Uh, it's a weird, like definitely not the first guy they offered or recruited at this spot. Right. But they also didn't throw out like a ton of offers. You know, I think there was Antonio Shelton, the Penn state transfer who committed to Florida, uh, Timmy Horn, who I can't even remember where he went like TCU or something. And then there was John Ridgeway, the Illinois state kid who committed to Arkansas. And then you had, um, fair. Yeah. yeah. Who the UAB transfer who committed to Auburn. So they have off, they did pursue a handful of guys, you know, but with Whitley feels like, you know, Michigan has had a chance to pursue some other guys in the middle ahead of not, maybe not taking that opportunity. So for them to be pursuing him really, you know, literally almost immediately after he entered the portal, you know, to me says that they, there's something about him that they like. And, and yeah, I mean, his journey, um, you know, it's like Frodo making, trying to get to Mount doom. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like he was in the same, I was, I was joking. He was in the same recruit. Well, it's not even a joke. It's a fact. Same recruiting class as Brian Monet and uh, uh, Michael Ferns and Man. Jabril Peppers <laughs> and all those guys, you know, it's like, that's how a lot, you know, Jabril Peppers, I think will be entering his fourth year in the NFL. Yeah, he's going to be on a second contract. <laughs> yeah, right. So, I mean, if that tells you how long of a a road it's been for him, so and fifth year, fifth year. Yeah, they're oh, sorry, yeah, even more, right? So, <laughs> so that being said, you know, I think one thing that'll be interesting with a kid like this, I keep saying kid, but he's not a kid. Uh, <laughs> definitely be a sense of urgency, you know, and somebody who understands what he's, what it's taken for him to get where he's at now, you know? So there is that little factor. I think we saw that type of idea, Mike Dana, you know, kind of betting on yourself a little bit. The betting on yourself has worked better for Michigan in basketball, you know, with Chandy and, and Mike Smith. But I think you, I think there's some semblance to that with Jordan Whitley. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, if he commits or not, but it feels like Michigan is, is a heavy favorite. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they, they have to be a heavy favorite. Um, you know, I don't mean this to sound disparaging, but the only other school that has offered that we have been able to see is Alabama, Birmingham. Um, you know, there's been other power five schools that have inquired or, or taken a look, uh, been in touch, but I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of late in the process. I think a lot of schools that were pursuing defensive tackle, transfers kind of got their guy or, or feel good enough with, um, with who they have. I think the one thing with, with Whitley, I don't think anyone would predict him to start. And I don't know if anyone would predict him to play like 40% of the snaps. He really would be kind of a, a specialty package type of player um, just because of his size you know, I think I, I personally would have questions about his conditioning just because um, he has had some serious health issues. And, and at one point, uh, you know, there's been stories about Oregon State and Laney College both, you know, finding efforts to kind of get his help him uh, with his dieting or with eating the right foods. You know, he admitted he really didn't know anything <laughs> when he entered college. Uh, and his weight was up to 390 pounds at one point. So there'll be, there'll be there would be some questions uh, if, if he committed to Michigan. And I don't think he would be like <laughs> the answer in the sense of, um, you know, solving Michigan's defensive problems. It's going to have to be solved elsewhere as well. But, it, but, you know, adding a veteran, adding someone with experience, adding someone who's played at the power five level, uh, adding someone who, can rotate in at the, at the least, you know, and, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, give some guys some rest and, and maybe, I mean, defensive line I've always found has, was one of the more injury prone position groups on the field. I don't know if the numbers bear that out, but that's the, that's the hunch I've always had. So, so yeah, I think in terms of the need level for Michigan, I think it was at eight, nine. I mean, and, and the facts, that they, you mentioned some of the players they've offered. 
a lot of those came after spring ball ended. And so that tells me that, you know, this wasn't something that they're, that they kind of feel a need for. I think now they kind of really feel a need where they're like, Hey, um, you know, we got to, we can't be as picky and choosy. We got to find somebody is, is I think the mindset that Michigan's carrying. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with his recruitment. Uh, but, but you know, I think you've mentioned before, Michigan does have some connections at, at Oregon state, excuse me. Um, you know, this isn't a, a completely blind flyer type recruitment. This is something, this is someone that they, I think they kind of got a tip that he was going to enter the portal. And as soon as he did, according to him, they offered within a minute of him entering the portal. So, um, you know, going to, going to be interesting to see how it goes. We're going to pause for a quick break on the other side. We'll talk about other position groups. Michigan might want to pursue a transfer at, are there any still and, and how important are they? And then we will close with some talk about the Michigan softball team. This is the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. For the past 20 years, you've enjoyed the refreshing tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast. So in celebration of this milestone, we're bringing Baja Blast in stores nationwide. And for a limited time with every purchase of Baja Blast, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. 2024 is the year of Baja Blast. In stores now. No purchase necessary. Open to U.S. residents 18 plus. Subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com and 615.24. Void where prohibited. Welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So as we mentioned just a moment ago, uh, you know, I think, I think Michigan, I don't know the exact scholarship count. I do think they have spots for a couple players in the transfer portal. Um, you know, I know Bryce just did a, did a post uh, on our message board saying they wouldn't necessarily stop with Whitley. You know, they, they might pursue another defensive tackle. So to kind of flesh out the rotation or, or, or add somebody, um, and then I, th- I do think there are other position groups where they could definitely benefit from a transfer. Now, now we say this, obviously, if a, if a superstar enters the transfer portal, Michigan's always going to reach out, you know, even no matter the position. I'm thinking more, can they find someone who, who might not light the world on fire, might not be an NFL draft pick, but can add some depth? Can they find someone like maybe a Mike Dana who – who is kind of betting on themselves, hoping to make it to the NFL um, and could be a plus piece, whether they start or, or rotate in. And so Steve, I think the position that jumps out the most to me as needing a transfer portal um, player, or just, just another, another player that could rotate in or contend for, for rotation snaps is inside linebacker. I think outside linebacker, you know, with the edge position, I feel like they're well equipped there. I think they have a bunch of different types of players uh, and that, that might be actually one of the more stout positions of their team, but inside linebacker, they have Josh Ross, who I don't think Michigan fans are, I don't think anyone's penciling him in as a all big 10 type of linebacker. And that, and he's been a three-year starter. Uh, So there's Josh Ross, there's Mike Barrett, who, I think had some pretty strong moments last year, but he is switching to more of an inside role. And then every, everyone else is kind of a, either a freshman or, or essentially a redshirt freshman. You know, it's, it's, it's guys like Kalel Mullings, Nikai Hill green, junior Colson, uh, talented players, but 
I, I think that there is absolutely room for Michigan to, to pursue a linebacker. I, I think you can be pickier at linebacker than defensive tackle. I think the need levels, maybe like a, a six or a seven, but if Michigan's thinking, if Michigan's goal is to have a top 10 defense this year, I, I think they absolutely need some help at linebacker. Uh, your thoughts, is that, is that the, the next most important position group for them to pursue a transfer? I think so. I think corner still, just because you, you know, I think you think about Ohio state, uh, other programs, you want as many coverage guys as you can find, but, but yeah, I think inside linebacker, absolutely. Just because they're so thin. Right. And I agree with Ross and Barrett kind of an interesting deal where it feels like they're okay at the top. But like you said, both of them kind of have legit question marks with Ross really, really struggling last year and Barrett kind of making that shift inside, you know, they love Nikai Hill green. They love junior Colson. Um, I think they like Mullings too, as I, I posted on the VIP chat today, I, what I was told Mullings had a little bit of an up and down spring camp. I don't, take that to mean like I think people here up and down and will lean more towards the down. Uh, I just think that means he's learning. You know, I think the talent and the athleticism is there as well, but he might not be as further as far along, you know, Colson, I think still has some learning to do. I feel like Nikai Hill green's the next guy though. Best way to put it. So, yeah, I think from a depth standpoint, you know, I think backer probably the best spot and yeah, cause on the outside, there's actually like a lot of guys, uh, <laughs> you know, you got, Ojabo, Harrell, Hutchinson, McGregor, Newberg, uh, Mike Morris has been playing on the outside a little bit. Uh, it's just, there's like a ton of guys at that spot. Definitely you know? seems like a Wisconsin situation where they might play two edge guys at the same time. I, I don't see how you don't given yeah. what you have. Right. I mean, if you don't think any of those guys are capable of playing inside, which I, I mean, I don't, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know how you could, uh, it, and I think you have to, I mean, if you're going to put your best 11 on the field, you know, it's like, what if a guy like McGregor blows up, you know, he's finally healthy. What if he comes to fall camp and like tears it up? It's like, yeah, you got a bunch of guys on the edge, but drew a lot of comparisons to Aiden Hutchinson out of high school. Right. So. You know, and now he's, he's like made his way back, you know, but, and we hear a lot of great things about Mike Morris and Harold and Ojabo. Uh, it's just like, they're like, really, really deep there. And so it's, you know, how they kind of, I know they, they want to go with the three, four, but man, I mean, it just still feels like a four, three fits the roster a little bit better. Um, well, and there's, there's ways to get creative. I, I think, and I, I think I they can't will. help but wonder if it's like a two, five, four ends up being into play, you know, two big tackles, two edge guys, um, Anyways. I just, if you're putting your best 11 on the field, right? I mean, that, there's a lot of different ways you could do it. And, and I do suspect, and I know this, I mean, we've been told, I mean, that they're, they're not married to one package necessarily. It's just clear that the long-term plan is for a three, four base. I mean, that's the way they're recruiting and it's, it's, you know, you see the guys that have transferred out, you know, it's clear that they're moving towards larger outside linebackers, bigger on the interior, just bigger on the defensive line period. So yeah, I think corner, corner and linebacker, but I agree that I think inside linebacker, just because, you know, it, it it's, it reminds me of safety last year when we talk about how they were, they were pretty solid at the top, but they were one, if they had one or two injuries, they were in big trouble because they have talent, but zero experience. And uh, that's kind of how it feels at linebacker. Cause, and again, we feel like we talk about this every time we talk about this stuff, but you know, for some inexplicable reason on this two and four Michigan team last year, none of these young linebackers got any run in a legitimate. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were, they were playing walk-ons instead yeah. of the freshmen. And, and, yeah. and you're running out a, 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 very subpar defense and you have young four-star level, you know, Nikai Hill green was a four-star, you know, I know Mullings is to get the all American got a lot of the pub, but uh, Hill green was a four-star prospect on our, uh, for 24 seven himself. And we didn't see these guys at all. 
And to me, that was a lost, that's a lost opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. th- these are guys that could it be, you could, they may not, you wouldn't maybe have been able to call them seasoned, but they're still green going into this year because for some reason they did not get put out on the field in any capacity last year in, in, in any scenario that meant anything, you know? And so that puts Michigan in a position now where, yeah, like I, I feel like, and I, they are, Bryce was right. I mean, we've been saying it for a while. There's defensively, they're still keeping their ears to the ground. I don't think they're married to taking anybody else if they don't have to, but I think if they find the right fit, I absolutely think they'll pursue. I think they're definitely, they're exhausting avenues I think there are a couple defensive backs they're looking at. Linebacker, I agree. Uh, I think they will be looking and have been looking. But, you know, yeah, I'd agree the linebacker definitely of the two spots are the other ones. But safety doesn't feel like they really need to make any pursuits there. And uh, obviously, like we said, not on the edge at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, at the edge, it's really crowded as it is. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I actually do think corner is another position just because there's there's – optimism about Jamon Green there's optimism about the winner of the Vincent Gray DJ Turner but um I don't think either of them I don't think any of them looked like all big 10 cornerbacks last season and that's that is as there's reason why it can't be a realistic standard but if you're Michigan's coaches I think you look at every single position group and you say is there a potential all big 10 player at this position and if there isn't, then you should be looking in the portal. Um, you don't have to offer everyone in the portal, but you should be you should be looking in. And I suspect Michigan is kind of doing that. Um, you know, a, another position group that I think gets uh, um, underrated in terms of portal needs. Two two of them actually stand out to me: kicker and tight end. Um, you know, Jake Moody's the projected kicker. I don't. I mean, he, he lost his job last season uh, for the, he's lost his job twice actually in the past two seasons. And then at tight end, you know, Eric all plenty, I mean, continues to get the practice hype, but he didn't play a ton last season. He had the drops, um, you know, still feel like if there's a veteran, you know, who's played at the power five level that enters that portal or, or someone really intriguing, I think Michigan should, should, should go because they are kind of thin at tight end. And that's, that's with Eric all working out. Great. Um, Great way. Let me add real quick before I forget. One really big reason that would vouch for, for your thought on tight end is the fact that I feel like the last three cycles they've, they've, I won't say desperately, but they've like actively tried to find a second guy. To oh, pair. to take two in the class, and then they always, and then it turns into a situation where the attitude, and maybe rightfully so, becomes, you know, we're going to go after, you know, because it's been the, the 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 tight end cycle has been almost identical the last like four years. You talk about Schoonmaker in eighteen, all in nineteen, Hibner and or who they take in twenty at tight end. I don't remember. It was Hibner, and then yeah, Hibner Hanson. Sorry. Yep. So yeah. No. Yeah. So exact same situation where those four guys and it right now it's the same thing in 22 with Marlon Klein. They got a really, really early tight end commitment from a guy that they loved. You know, I mean, Schoonmaker was a kid played corner (laughs) in high school at a tight end size, you know, was a kid felt like an under the radar type, the same way they felt about Sean McCune who's still in the NFL. Yeah. On a roster. Right. Um, get a guy early that they love but then they just can't convince the right talent to to be the second guy you know it's you got like guys like theo johnson they're trying with oscar delp this cycle the same deal where it's like other schools are saying hey you know you can be the guy for us at tight end why would you go to michigan there to have a tight end four-star tight end committed you know type deal so in that regard this is built up over three or four years where they've only signed one guy, you know? And so it's going to be like, and so I could see where, and yeah, I don't think the production at tight end has been particularly, you know, Eric Ollie, I really struggled last season. They, yeah, like you said, 
Well, this is they, the first year they don't have someone like the past few years. I mean, they, they knew they had Gentry and McCune in 2017 in 2018. It was, um, well, it's the same guys as Gentry McCune, Eubanks in 2019. It was McCune, Eubanks last year it was Eubanks, but that kind of like experience pipeline that they had, right. Because of last season was only a half season. You know, Eric all didn't really get the, that much experience under his belt. Yep. No, it's a position that doesn't get talked about enough. I don't think because it is yeah. something that seems despite the speed and space transition, I think tight end is still central to what Michigan wants to do, particularly in the run game. So, um, and it's always, it's speed and space or not tight end is, is always a position where if you have the right guy uh, can be your biggest matchup on the field, their biggest mismatch mm-hmm. on the field in the passing game too. So, Look I at agree. how many elite NFL offenses have a really good tight end. I right. mean, I think it's you, – you might argue that it's all of them do. So it's right. – yeah, I think it's important. Then And then the last position group that I was thinking of, this is more of a take someone either that you really liked as a recruit or that is like a very well-known name. They are – they don't have that many scholarship-wide receivers because of the attrition that they've had, I, I think. I mean, there was a time where they were thinking about trying to take four receivers in this cycle just to get the scholarship numbers up. Uh, They ended up only taking two because Worthy ended up leaving. So I think, and then Giles Jackson transferred. Um, And so I I think Michigan, you know, when I went back and looked and watched these games, I actually felt of all the position groups, the receivers was the one that I was the most higher on. And that I was like, you know, I don't think it was talked enough about enough about how well Cornelius Johnson played or, or Mike Sane was still, he had a couple drops, but his finish to the season or, or Ronnie Bell's season, but same time, I think they, they feel like they could probably use, I think they're, they're at either six or seven scholarship receivers. I'm going off the top of my head there. Uh, if someone pops in, you know, thinking like a, um, like a, a Wandell Robinson that, that went from Nebraska to Kentucky, someone like that, that, you know, Michigan, it's like, Hey, I, <laughs> you know, I remember recruiting you. <laughs> You're someone that, that we could use. Uh, you might as well throw your name in the hat. Uh, so anyway, that's probably enough transfer talk for now. Obviously if anyone commits or if they offer anyone, there'll be more of a discussion to be had, but let's talk a little bit of softball, Steve. I don't know how many games you've been able to watch this year, obviously without, uh, things being in person, we're all confined kind of to the to the TVs during much of the season, and and softball is is a difficult sport because they you know Big Ten Network puts like three games on a weekend and it's it's often Michigan but it's it's not always Michigan. So I've been able to watch a few. Uh, the team is thirty six and six. I'm unofficially calling that a record for most Big Ten wins by a sport in a season. I, I don't I don't think I've heard of teams playing 30 or I mean, I don't think anyone's ever played 42 big 10 games, but 36 uh, unofficially calling that a record. A lot of wins. They won 15 of the last 16. And then the NCAA tournament selection is made and they are effectively the number 17 team in the country. Cool. But that also means that they're going across the country to play Washington, a team that probably shouldn't be a 16 seed. I mean, they were ranked fifth uh, a, a week ago in the coaches poll. And so uh, I think they split their final series or whatever. So there's reason why they fell, but, but 16th, I think everyone in the pack 12 is kind of like, how could Washington be falling that far? So Steve, we'll start with the controversy before we talk about the, the, the substance of the team. Very, I think this is the most on the record I've ever heard the SEC bias be, be discussed. I think Arizona's softball coach talked, look, the SEC network, it's ES, it's basically ESPN. They have softball and baseball on all the time. Uh, you know, they get to put all these regional games on that station if they want to. And he his, his inference was basically, the, you know, the, the selection committee wants these games on TV. They want the, the teams with the big followings. So they're going to put the SEC in charge. I mean, the SEC in the last three years, they're a good conference. In the last three years, they've produced 
seven college world series teams that is second most in the country behind the pac 12 who had 10 but this year the sec is hosting half of the ncaa tournament regionals eight of the 16 while the pac 12 is hosting i believe four and the pac 12 was punished they didn't they only they did regional non-conference games so it had to be you know mountain west western athletic conference big sky conference teams and then the big 10 they're not a very good softball conference but but um, northwestern's a four seed in their regional uh, minnesota i think is a three seed michigan's a two seed so it seemed like there was a little bit of bias against michigan for not playing any non-conference games and then i also think there was some some pac 12 bias and Part of that is the lack of non-conference. That is fewer data points. But I think a lot of coaches are inferring there is an SEC favoritism uh, in part due to the increased television exposure that the SEC will provide. So, Steve, I, 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 I know you're not following the softball stuff all year, but, but I know you've caught up on, on Carol Hutchins. She was uh, pretty, pretty blunt with her assessment. She, she thinks there's a bias against one conference in particular. That was her quote. Um, your thoughts on, on this whole ordeal. Uh, just from like a logic standpoint, I don't think these coaches all come out publicly unless there's just you, cause you can, never, it's one of those things you can't factually prove. Right. But like, the fact they're all that they all come out so so vehemently about it to me says that there's there's definitely credence to what they're feeling and what they you know their their thoughts on it right I mean it and it's and like you said it's not as if it was just Big Ten coaches you have Pac-12 coaches also involved um, yeah follow the money right uh, that's it's especially with anything anytime it comes to the SEC um, in a lot of sports and it's just plausible enough that it's like. Okay. I mean, it's not like the SEC is like some chump conference. I mean, they, they do have a lot of really good teams. Oh, yeah. A lot of different teams make the College World Series. Um, you know, I mentioned the seven, but it's not like the same three every year. I think they do have the best conference in, in college softball. But a couple of those schools probably got higher seeds than you would think. Right. And that's, you know, I think that's where the crux of their argument lies. So, yeah, Michigan's got a weird road now. To, to get back to the world series, you know, and, and it's going to be interesting to see it's what's kind of interesting. Though, I was like, isn't Washington was one of the kind of the teams that got screwed over too. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the screwed over bowl, you know, between Michigan and Washington, who, who, who will have a bigger chip on their shoulder, you know, and, and, uh, and win and, and move on. So it actually kind of creates in a weird way, despite the fact that we probably agree that both teams got hosed in this situation it does create for a really intriguing matchup between the two, just for that reason that they're, they're both kind of in the same boat in a way, except Michigan's got to travel all the way out there. Right. Well, right. And, and the, the reason it matters, you know, because Michigan's been the 17 seed a couple times, or they've been the 16 seed a couple times as well. Um, It almost would have been better if Michigan had lost a couple games and fallen down the pecking order. Because one, Washington's a tough out. Two, two, playing on the West Coast is really tough. Three, if they find a way to beat Washington, then they have to turn around and play Oklahoma. And that's a way tougher deal. Like, like I think um, like the Kentucky Regional has Northwestern, Notre Dame, uh, I want to say Miami of Ohio, and Kentucky. Kentucky's a 14 seed, I think, or a 13 seed. But like it, they're they're beatable enough for Michigan, and if Michigan won, then they would be playing a three seed, four seed instead of like the unanimous number one team in the country in Oklahoma. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's a tough draw. I mean, someone had to be the seventeen seed though, and that's that's just that's more of a you know thing with the the college baseball, college softball tournament structure that it's like 16 teams get to host but then the 17 18 19 i mean they're traveling potentially across the country uh despite being only like a game or two back from from the 14 15 16 so it's it's um 
it's fascinating. You know, I, I, I'm really fascinated to see if softball makes a change because I have never heard so many coaches claiming SEC bias because SEC bias, that's more of a fan thing. You know, it happens all the time in football. Uh, everyone says that, that ESPN is biased toward the SEC. I think there's some truth to it, but I also think they're biased toward the biggest fan bases and the best teams. And so, um, you know, and so I think, but I usually you don't hear coaches claiming SEC bias. So I thought that was fascinating. And, and, and Carol Hutchins kind of reeled it in, uh, in her second interview. And it's kind of like, Hey, I said, I had a, had a couple things I wanted to say. Now they're sad. Now we're focused on the game more, more of the traditional coach speak. Um, but yeah, it's going to be fascinating as far as the team ex- itself. Steve, we were going over some of the, the wild stats for this team uh, before, before we re- hit record. They lead the nation in earn run average, and they are fifth in the nation in fielding percentage. Uh, they have the Big Ten, actually two first-team All-Big Ten pitchers, uh, and it's, it's wild that you know Megan Bobian has a 1.14 earned run average, uh, like 186 strikeouts in 135 innings a 162 opponent batting average. And she is like, she looks mediocre compared to Alex Storaco 0.88 earned run average 0.67 whip. I don't know how often you see a whip that low um, at, at, you know, in the big 10. And then this number blew my mind too: 252 strikeouts in 136 innings. She's allowed 58 hits and 33 walks and has struck out 252, uh, 126 opponent batting average. So definitely a pitching led team, a little bit easier to build up these crazy numbers against the big 10, which is, doesn't have a ton of, you know, great hitting lineups. Uh, but yeah, definitely a pitching led team. I think the difference this year is I, I do think they actually have some bats to, to support the pitching, you know, Lexi Blair became Michigan's first big 10 player of the year, which is normally an offensive award. Uh, she became the first winner for Michigan since Sierra Romero in 2016. And then Taylor bump, Lou Allen, I think they're top five in a litany of categories, including home runs and runs batted in. So it feels like there's a little bit more, uh, uh, juice to the lineup to help Michigan advance. I know you haven't been able to, to watch every game, neither have I, uh, but your thoughts on, on Michigan in this regional uh, Washington, really, really good one pitcher rest of the pitching staff's okay. Really, really good one hitter <laughs> and rest of the lineup is, is better than okay, but, but not nothing unstoppable. Any, any thoughts on, on the regional this weekend? I just couldn't get over the stats. Storaco, a, a 0.65 whip for an entire season. I don't give, I don't care who you're pitching again. That's like we were saying, that's a, a little more than a runner every other, one runner every other inning. <laughs> like, does the defense, do they, do the, do the infielders build like little sandcastles and stuff? <laughs> like, you know, we used to in Little League or, well, I was a little bit old, younger than that. I wasn't building sandcastles in the little league, but you know the deal. So, um, I mean, I got to think, again, I'm not the most softball guy. I'm really glad we're talking about it, though. You got to think having a great one-two combo from a pitching standpoint, it's it creates a situation where you feel like you're going to have a shot every time you go out there, right? And if you can find – if you have a hitter or two who can really step up you know, in the big moment, a couple people that can catch fire. You know, I feel like it's it's always a situation where you can make a run in in a tournament style setting. So, gotta think that's what Michigan's banking on. You know, letting their pitchers be their pitchers and do what they've done all season, and then hoping that a couple hitters can kind of have a nice, a good, uh, a good run, and and maybe carry them. You know, to the to close enough to the end to where then it just becomes a you know, mano y mano or, well, sorry, womano, wom- I don't know, whatever the, uh, you know, like a, a one-on-one. <laughs> I don't know how the right way to, that was the wrong way to use mano one-on-one one matchup. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
you know, a one game setting where, where anything can happen. So I guess I don't follow it as well. I'll be watching it now though. I hate to sound so fair weather, uh, but I will be watching it now. And uh, you know, but yeah, no, if you can throw uh Starocco out every other day, who, by the way, same high school as AJ Henning, actually Lincoln way East in, oh, Frankfurt, okay. in Frankfurt, Illinois. So um, they nice. must put out some big time athletes there. So kind of a cool little story there. I'm sure AJ will be watching closely. And so, uh, Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, always exciting. And then just the other thing too, uh, Hutch, I mean, how many Big Ten championships was it? 18. I mean, that is 18 like. 18 <laughs> Big Ten Coach of the Year awards. <laughs> it's just, that doesn't even. It doesn't a generation even of just being yeah. the best coach. Yeah, it doesn't even register. Uh, you know, never, even when she does get talked about, uh, it's never enough really, uh, for everything she's done. You talk about how difficult it is to build a powerhouse in softball north of the Mason-Dixon line or out, you know, if you're not under the Mason-Dixon line or on the West Coast, you know, so never gets old uh, to see her get accolades and, and you know, succeed and, and continue to build a program and, and put Michigan in a, you know, in a position to compete for a World Series, so pretty sweet but yeah i mean now now the real season really that's kind of, and that's that's what's interesting now the real season starts for michigan and that's what it that's yeah. what she's done for them is to where you know obviously we're not surprised that michigan won the big 10 again and that she won big 10 i mean at this point it's more likely than not than i guess that she'll win she'll win those awards and that they'll win the conference and so you know like i said now the real season starts and i always say i got to feel like it's the same as it is in baseball if if you have if you have two elite pitchers, you know, even maybe more so in softball, it's not like you have a five woman rotation, uh, you know, you're going to have a chance right. to win. No, every- it's really two with a, with a third. Yeah. Right. So you have a chance, you know, yeah. to really make a run with, with having elite pitching at top. Yeah. And I think the one thing, the difference with this year versus the previous few years, because they've been in this position before where they're kind of in that 15 to 20 range, uh, I think one year they in 2019 they hosted and 17 and 18 they were on the road. Actually, 17 they went to Washington. But I think the one difference with this year, I think the pitching staff has a little bit more control because that's where things get haywire with softball. Is is these games are very low scoring. So if you have an inning where you walk two um, two batters and maybe give up like a, a, a single and have a wild pitch, I mean that could be the entire game. So I think the fact that both Bobian and Starocco uh, have much better control. Michigan has its best strikeout to walk ratio since 2010. I believe they're, they are fifth in the country in that category. They might be seventh. Um, but regardless, that's what's allowed them to keep the, the earned run average down. That's what on paper should allow them to, as you mentioned, uh, contend with anybody. You know, I think they're better than Seattle, who they play first. I think they're much better than Portland State, who is like nine games below 500, but won their conference. Uh, you know, Washington, I think, does have a better team. I, I think they're a little bit more in that powerhouse arc of their of their program. I mean, every program has kind of their their waves up and down. I think this this Washington team was meant to be a little bit more of a top ten, top five. In fact, they were a top five team. Um, so it'll be it'll be tough, but I, I do think, as you mentioned, I think that they 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 still have the pitching. I think the pitching has a little bit better control, and then I do think they have bats and and not just hitting for average, like actual power bats, uh, seems to be returning to that. Lou Allen, uh, Taylor Bump, are kind of the main two I'm I'm speaking about there. So I don't have a prediction because I have not watched enough Washington or Michigan softball to, to really offer one. I, I, I think they have a more of a puncher's chance than they, than they might've had last time they went to Washington in 2017. Um, yeah. I think this Michigan seems to be back on the up and yeah, I agree. Um, I actually did spend at least 40 minutes yesterday I went through the Big Ten archives. Thankfully, they only started doing Coach of the Year awards in like 1985. Um, but I went through the archives for every sport 
I did not find a single coach with more than 13 Big Ten Coach of the Year awards, except for Carol Hutchins. And I mean, to do that, because, you know, these Coach of the Year awards, sometimes they just go to the best team. But a lot of times these conferences like to kind of give it to the most surprisingly good team. So like Marsha Pankratz, I think only has five, even though she's won like two dozen big 10 titles or not Marsha Pankratz um, uh, softball or gymnastics coach. Bev Plocky. Yeah. Bev Plocky. Yeah. She has, she only has like five or six big 10 coach of the year awards, despite winning the big 10 every year. So, so it's hard to convince everyone that you were the best coach, even though you were expected to be the best team dominated everybody and were the best team. So uh, this is, I mean, it, this is multiple generations of dominant coaching for Carol Hutchins. I think she won her first one in 1992 or 1993. Um, so she went several years without winning the award and then started winning the award pretty much every, every year, <laughs> every year, every other year. So, uh, so yeah, congrats to Michigan for winning the big 10, um, you know, and, and, and we'll see what happens this weekend. Obviously we'll talk about them next week if they win anyways uh, for Steve Lorenz. I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here.